If you currently sponsor Max Verstappen or Sergio Perez and are looking for a way to advance your marketing goals, come to the Money Lab. We will gladly take your time and money and effort, and we will put that out there for you, and we'll give Max Verstappen and Sergio Perez all the time they need uh, and free time to not have to do those marketing objectives. We're there rolling, you are, right? Oh, we're rolling. Hey, we're live. Welcome to Money Lab. Yeah, episode two. Uh, I'm Parker Klugerman, joined by Landon Castle. And Landon, we have big, big news. On Sunday, we broke the top 100 podcast on the Apple podcast charts in sports. That's a key part of this. And we got as high as 73rd on Sunday, getting ahead of Denny Hamlin, who went on to win the Kansas Cup race that day. I mean, that's a victory. I mean, it's basically like winning the Cup race. Wouldn't you say? Same thing. Well, it or it's like running take... second to Denny. Maybe it's like running second to Denny. That's what it is. Perfect. <laughs> um, speaking of which, I want to call this section P- the PR lap, because uh, which is something we do in racing. If you wanted to impress your sponsor or impress people, you could tape it up and maybe pull some ballast out and go set a really fast Put on lap a set practice. of tires and practice. Yeah, oh, I love that. And go really I fast. Always love, I always love when a crew chief or team owner wants to do a PR lap at practice, burn a set of tires. It is pretty fun. It's always a good feeling. But and this then, PR lap. And then in the race, when it's actually critical to our points and the way that we actually get paid and the result of our season, and they're like, all right, final restart, 10 laps to go. Come on in. We're going to put on these scuffs from practice. <laughs> You're like, thanks. Like, oh, I actually get paid for the finishing so result. So glad we were practice. sixth in practice on that set of stickers. <laughs> we got Bob Pockris was able to tweet about it. <laughs> not, actually, that wouldn't even get like a Pockris tweet. That would be like a... Now I'm not trying to insult any specific person on Twitter. I'm just saying that would get like just a tweet where it's like, oh, look, Parker yep. was sixth in practice. What a run for that team. That guy deserves a full ride. Let's go. <laughs> then he puts scuffs on on the final restart at Darlington and just. <laughs> All right, this is getting sad a little bit. Let's move okay, on. Okay, okay, okay. Let's bring it up. Let's bring it up. Yeah, uh, PR bring it back lap. up. That was exciting. We were top. We did. We broke the top 100, which was pretty awesome. I was proud of that because I didn't know what to expect. I don't even know how we found those rankings or what they mean. Uh, but we're we're banging on the door of. Denny's podcast and all these big guys, all these big studio podcasts. Um, we're just doing it on our own over here with no deal. So I, I think that's pretty cool. We got we yeah. had a couple reviews too, didn't we? Well, that's what I want to go into. So you, you've totally killed my uh, segment name here because it was called PR Lap to talk about our favorite reviews out there because thousands of you listen to this and we only got 20 reviews on Apple Podcasts and only like five or 20 ratings and five reviews. Now, all five stars, so we appreciate that. But we need all of you out there to go do this. We're bringing you this for free. And as Landon alluded to, we are not doing this with a major media company or conglomerate. It is us and our small team against the media world. Uh, and we need your help to continue doing this. So I'm just going to read a couple of the best ones out there. There was only a couple. But please leave us a review wherever you listen to your podcast, whether it's Spotify or Apple, although we obviously we're crushing on the Apple charts. Uh, this one, five stars. Addiction set in within the first five minutes. This will quickly become a part of your mandatory podcast lineup. Inside scoop and laughs to boot, rational, smart, and action-packed. Uh, their name is unpronounceable. Uh, Kadadar, recommend, fun, entertaining, and informative. Excited for next week's. Racer Chaser 7, they know their stuff. The only place I'll get my motorsports content from now on. Love these guys. 18 Die God, first, haven't listened to the show yet, but I'm sure it's good. Five stars. So that's that's a little bit of a preemptive one. Um, and then Earl's 15, awesome show. Great job by two of the best guys in NASCAR. Lots of insight into the motorsports world. Love these guys. A must listen. So if you want to be one of those that gets read out on this podcast, go let us leave us a review. Awesome. And, you know, the number one way to get 
to know if people like you or not is to read all of the reviews, good and bad, Parker. So <laughs> no, we don't. Um, we don't want how, That is how the internet works, <laughs> and our happiness is going to completely ride on those reviews. And I'm going to go to bed at night, refreshing my phone over and over and over again to see if new reviews pop up. <laughs> we already heard your really sad story about sticker tires. So, <laughs> am I bringing negativity it? today? <laughs> Help Landon be happier. Leave us a review. Say, we started this race whole show with me adjusting today. my camera setting. This is a this is a vanity show for for me. <laughs> you told I think it started when you told me I was too red, and I you caught me trying to give myself a little bit of a tan with my camera settings. Anyways, <laughs> yeah, no, you you had the uh, full on spent four hours un unsunscreened uh, look. Let's talk about race cars. Miami. I know more about race cars than I do cameras. Let's do that. So we also have a newsletter out there, for those of you that mm. don't know, called Money Lap. If you just go to themoneylap.com, um, it goes to thousands of people, and it rides Tuesdays and Thursdays normally with all the racing news, which is what we'll dive into right here in our news section. But before we do that, we did launch a Monday version of the newsletter that will drop in your inbox Monday mornings with all the highlights and extended highlights from the weekend in video form. So it's links to all those highlights so you don't have to look around the internet. We do it for you. So that got a great response. Dropped that this Monday. It was awesome. But jumping into what was on the Money Lap newsletter, uh, first and foremost, Denny Hamlin, as we mentioned, won a thriller in Kansas. Key part here, he started eighth. Now, that doesn't tell the whole story. Meanwhile, at the Miami GP, Max Verstappen won, but he was from ninth on the grid. So we'll go into that more later, why those two connect. Um, We'll also discuss later on in this episode – is F1 starting a war with U.S. motorsports? Hmm. Mm. Um, one of the big news things that was kind of cool caught my eye, and we can just rip through these, Landon. We don't need to have long yeah. discussions of all of them. But Formula E uh, had 116 overtakes at Monaco using their, uh, you know, however they decide what's an overtake, which has been a hot topic in NASCAR, as many people call out what we're considering a pass. Um, but the race ended under caution. Nick Cassidy was the winner and is now the points leader, but pretty cool to say, you know, a race at Monaco, which is normally a processional parade in Formula One, had 116 mm-hmm. overtakes. I just like that. I watched that race, and, I mean, the racing was incredible. The passing was incredible. So kudos to Formula E. But the cars are slow-looking. I actually meant to look this up maybe – Josh can look it up for us while we're talking. But uh, how much slower are Formula E cars at Monaco than an F1 car? Because they just looked sluggish. And I, it's good racing yeah. and good passing, but it wasn't compelling race cars, you know? It looked fun. Yeah. Um, you know, you could make some daring moves for sure. Uh, so I, I don't know. I just wasn't like... I don't know. They just don't look fat. And maybe I was like right around watching the F1 race and things like that. So you're comparing those. <laughs> something uh, with a thousand horsepower compared yep. to something. I think those the cars are cars. Little, are they smaller? Yeah, they're smaller like, is, and they, they equal about like 330 horsepower, I want to say, compared mm-hmm. to I, they're, I believe where they line up. And I, you know, someone out there can correct me if I'm wrong. I know the old generation, this is the new Gen 3 car. Um, the older generation was somewhere around like an F3 car, and I believe this one was hoping to be more, you know, above that in between F3 and an F2 car. Um, and I don't know exactly where it lined up, and I think it is weird, like you mentioned, because they go to those onboards, and you can tell the drivers having to do a lot on the braking zone and in the corners. And they, I love how they run the, the road tire, essentially, right? Which is all part of the right. ego side of it all. But I love that because it takes away all that grip. There's no mechanical grip with those. So it's pretty interesting to watch. And I know the braking is really hard because they've had really good brakes. that, And they have a weird regenerative system that sort of has, messes with the rears. And it's like a brake-by-wire situation, I think, with the rears, which the Porsche has had an issue with in, in Mexico. Um, but the the thing that gets me is, like, you see their hands moving, all this stuff, but there's, like, no sound. <laughs> and I, yeah, I, I mean, think that's, that's what gets you. The The internet tells me that they're about 12 seconds slower ah. than an F1 car, which that's that's a lot. That's closer than I, I thought. I mean, that's a lot. Really? Yeah, well, I guess Monaco, that's a lot. I guess what's an F2 car? Probably three or four, se- like four or five seconds slower pretty, than an F1 car. I mean, I think it, 
Would a cup car be 12 seconds? A cup car would be 12 to 20 seconds slower there, wouldn't it? Uh, current one? I mean, maybe yeah, because the power. No, maybe further, man. Maybe like 15. It'd just be a big, you you know, a cup car is a big beast. Around so that I, that's so a tight place. So you're about the drivers, the drivers looking busy in the car. I mean, I, I think that that's a product of the tire, right? The tire's just a road yep. tire. It's kind of chintzy, you know, narrow. Um, Not a lot of grip in the tire there. Not a lot of aero grip in those cars. It doesn't look like, you know, I guess I have no idea what amount of downforce they produce, but <laughs> We're th- just cars are information, to- by the way. Th- those cars are well. Those cars are obviously not built to have a whole lot of, you know, grip and performance in them. They they race well. They ra- and they put on yep. a good show. They're just not going super fast. And that's you know this is kind of like just an extension of our conversation last week about electric race cars. Uh, I think it'll be really impressive and compelling when they can make an electric race car go as fast as a Formula One car. That's what I want to see, and I yep. think that's what electric racing should be trying to strive for right now. Because it's like, I mean, we can make, we don't need to make electric cars to make racing that's that good. Mm-hmm. You know, we can cut horsepower, also, cut grip, make cars super drivable, move around a lot, you know, knock 12, 15 seconds off the lap time and sacrifice speed, but for entertainment. And we don't need to, we don't need to spend 50 million a year to build an electric race car to do that. Right. It's exact. Well, that's exactly what I was thinking in terms of it's the old question of speed versus entertainment and do they you know right. are they coincide or do they have you know do you need to give up one for the other sort of thing right so that so that um, brings me to my whole idea here and i'll wrap this up <laughs> i've unpacked this live on the show in my brain you never know where it's going to go if if formula e wants to make it in my opinion they should be trying to build this car to go as fast as an f1 car that's we'll what see. they should be doing We'll see. They, they should be limiting wanted... it with tire and arrow, and mm. they should be pushing the limits of what an electric car can do. Who cares if the racing is interesting? Who cares if there's 116 overtakes? <laughs> they need to get that thing to where it could beat a Red Bull F1 car. There is all sorts of – I'm not going to dive into it any further, but there is – you know, they do race in city centers, which is a big problem uh, with what – you know, they decide – to forego actual tracks to do city centers and that sort of thing. So that's sort of the design of the cars um, and the tracks, you know, for especially beginning were not to the grade that the FI probably required for them to be able to go that fast. So I think mm-hmm. they've had to deal with that battery technology has not been able to keep up with their wants to have the car go 45 minutes, right. Compared to what would happen in terms of being able to do pit stops and all that. So there's all those issues, but it, they are struggling with uh tv ratings around the world right now just not doing that well in in uh especially england and germany's probably doing some of the best the u.s had struggled mightily so we'll see um i think they i've always been impressed with the racing in film i've always thought it's a very Mm -hmm. entertaining show but to your point and the broadcast is wonderful and they do such a good job around it and everything and it looks beautiful but They've definitely the pandemic hurt them a little bit with their you know in city centers and now I think they're in a bit of a bind which is to your point you you're entertaining but that's not working maybe you got to go be the best of the best. Uh, yeah. Speaking of fast cars, the WRC uh, impressed with a U.S. rally demonstration in a bid to make a 2024 uh, U.S. WRC rally event happen. Uh, it would be Chattanooga, Tennessee. Uh, I guess it's like the home base of all this, which is pretty badass. WRC is some of the coolest. Awesome. Yeah, it's just some of the coolest cars in the world. So love to see it happen. Ryan Newman, especially Chattanooga. I mean, that would be a that would be <laughs> an awesome venue. It would be sweet. Ryan Newman is coming back to the NASCAR Cup Series with Rick Ware Racing, Ooh. and I want to read this quote to you, and then I will just await your reaction. So his quote, okay. amidst this, uh, that he's coming back him describing the next-gen car and so the situation. He said, I know I'm not jumping into a Hendrick car. I know I'm not jumping into a JGR car. But ultimately, with the way the rules are, there's no reason that it can't be a competitive or somewhat competitive car. From what I understand, the pit stops, the pit crew, is a little bit of a concern. I'm not trying to single them out, but with the way the rules are with the car, I think more emphasis gets put on the potential of your pit crew than the potential of a nut and bolt kit that NASCAR gives you. Hmm. 
So what, agree or disagree? Uh, what does he mean by competitive and not competitive? <laughs> <laughs> what is he expecting? That was my question. How? Where is he expecting to run on Sunday? It sounds like he thinks that he can. Where do you think he sounds like he thinks he can run? Does he think he can be top twenty-five, top twenty? Because I have a stark problem. Let's put with some, that. Oh wait, we can't. We can't gamble on this. If we were to gamble on this, uh, where's <laughs> we're the line? Where's, where's we're already in trouble. Um, <laughs> where are we setting the line on Newman in the RWR car? To do what? Win twenty-five and a half, twenty-fifth and a half. To win? Or just no, no, twenty uh, we're finishing P25 position. and a half. Oh yeah. yeah. P twenty five yeah, and a half. Twenty five is the over under. Is it over under that? Yeah. In average speed. I'm not talking about finishing position. I don't want to deal with attrition. Oh, average speed? Stuff. I'm saying over. I'm saying I'll take the, the overall. <laughs> so average speed Yeah, if he's if he's P twenty five in average speed on Sunday, then he probably ran nineteenth. He's getting it. Or better. Steve Tart says it think, best. What about th- – do you think he could be 31st in average speed? Oh, yeah, easy. Who's he got to beat to be 31st in average speed? He's got to be – 78. The 77, the 78, the other RWR car. So 36, yep. 35, 34. Uh, uh, one of the front row 42, cars. A 42. car. Yep. I mean, you're not going to be the seven. We obviously we're big fans of the seven. I don't think you're going to be the yep. twenty-one in average speed. Nope. Maybe the thirty-eight. Not a I don't think you're going to beat the forty-seven. Not going to beat the forty-seven. I mean, that's it's a tall. Might, you could be thirty-second. I think he's thirty-second to thirty-third on average speed. Yep. Yep. Hundred percent. Which means you but, could run hey, in the top thirty, but is that competitive? Not really said. It, but. That maybe or it or or it's just a nut and bolt kit. <laughs> Which, and he hops in it and runs fifty. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. So Stephen Chart says this. He's like, this is the biggest damn misconception in the NASCAR Cup Series right now that it is a spec car entirely through and through, right? Because he's like, if that were the damn case, then if I walk up to Chase Elliott and I said, you can drive a Hendrick Motorsports car or the legacy motorsport <laughs> motor club car. Which one do you think he's going to choose? <laughs> so, uh, so this is a different topic. Uh, well, different topic, same, same question. And I love, this is hilarious. So self-deprecating, but I'll get right into it. Last year we were testing in the sim for Coda. I think it was at colleague. And out of the three of us, AJ, Daniel, and myself, I was the fastest in the simulator for, for Coda. And the engineers were like, yeah, I mean, Landon was the fastest. Landon was the fastest. And and me and Daniel were like, well, come on. I mean, what was AJ doing? Like, was it really his fastest lap? Or like, you know, what, how, what, what was, what's the real story behind this? No, no, you were legit the fastest. I mean, you definitely, you were doing, getting into turn one better and getting into this corner better, this corner better. And it was like, they were kind of pumping it up so much. And I just said, okay, you get one of us for, for the race. <laughs> you got to pick a driver. Which one are you picking? <laughs> like, Wow. You know, uh, I'm like, yeah, you're picking AJ, aren't you? <laughs> like, so stop telling me I was the fastest in the simulator. It doesn't matter. <laughs> the sim is the the way we'll we'll dive into it at some point on this podcast. But the sim, <laughs> what happens in the sim on the weekdays, and what happens in reality on the weekends, if if you could really track the sentiment of race teams, sim days on monday tuesday wednesdays and what actually happens the the, the inverse would swings. be the emotional swing the inverse would be so massive it would literally probably cause most people just to fall over so um. <laughs> it's like another session on track so i that I, I enjoyed talking about the the car though like that and and uh yeah i mean the cars i we nascar's made a huge step in the right direction if the goal is to have equal cars Mm-hmm. Right. If the goal is to have equal equipment and the human capital is the difference, um, then NASCAR has made a huge step in the right direction. There's still a million parts and components on those cars that can be adjusted uh, and not even illegally. I'm saying legally. Right. I mean, the shocks have how many different settings in them 
and variations and springs and ride heights and yep. all that stuff. I Thousands. actually always believed I, – I had even believed – one thing I've said for a long time is we either have too many rules or not enough. Um, and, and by meaning, you know, it, we should either just get rid of all the rules and have a complete run what you brung and let the manufacturers and the, and the teams be incredibly, ingen, you know, ingenuitive and, um, and see what kind of technology they create. Or we should just stock the cars out so much to where there's just nothing to do to them. And I did feel like, um, NASCAR went so far with this car to standardize parts and pieces and components and take the manufacturing business out of it uh, for these teams to where they don't have to be these huge manufacturing facilities building chassis from the ground up. Um, I feel like they did a really good job with that, except they did things like uh, provide a shock that has 3,000 different adjustment settings. Like, why do we even need that? You know, why, Mm -hmm. why why do we need these different control arm positions? And... And all these other different adjustability parts of place and standardized, right? It has no, you know, really has no value to the show, right? The broadcast isn't talking about how the shocks are set. The manufacturers aren't leveraging that technology to apply it to their production vehicles, right? So we're in my, the way I look at it, right? We're, we're raising money from sponsors and from manufacturers to invest in knowledge on these shocks and then that knowledge itself is not being monetized, right? The only way that money is being monetized is if the car runs yep. up front in the race and gets more TV time. So that's, that's, that's too much of a separation between why the money, what the money's being spent on and then how we return investment in that money, right? So I've looked at that and said, why, why even have shock settings? Just have handout shocks. Who cares if they're all the same? Who cares if they're not optimized, right? Just, just make them all the same. Yep. Yeah, it's a good point. And it's to the point of how we end up here with this car because when we were all designing, building cars and manufacturing them ourselves, we were all doing this within a box to beat each other with the same situation, which was we were taking sponsor money to build a mousetrap, different than everyone else's mousetrap, within a very tight box of which you weren't really using this anywhere else. And we weren't talking about it on the broadcast. And so my thought was always it isn't selling tickets and it's not getting people to watch on TV. Why the hell are we doing it? Right. And some of oh, it, uh, absolutely. And some of it though, to, you know, to, to go away from that just for a second and to basically refute myself, I'm going to, I'm going to battle myself here just like you do normally on this podcast, but <laughs> I love it. I can, I can, by the way, by the way, for anybody listening, I am capable of arguing both sides yeah. of all of these debates. I love doing it. I love that. That's what strengthens your, your core knowledge of it all. It's the ability to switch sides in a debate, but go ahead. Well, so what I was going to say was that the racing side and the racer and maybe part of the show is the idea of everything that happens. You know, there's, there's a, there is a argument to be made that deciding on that setup and having the engineer be able to figure it out and be able to move that mousetrap within the box that they set is the show, right? So mm-hmm. I would personally not fully agree, but I also wouldn't disagree with that. And that's a weird place to be, and I know that's not taking a hard stance, but it is part of the, the, what's going on throughout global motorsports and trying to figure out what is the right balance there, and not everyone knows. Well, here, here's my compromise to that because I agree with you. I, that that can be packaged and told as a story because, uh, to be honest and, and real, like these engineers and these crew chiefs are are great personalities and they are great assets that we should be using as part of the show and we should be elevating their profile. They should be celebrities, right? And and some of them are, right? I mean, some of them are are, you know, Chad Knauss is is um, undoubtedly will be in the Hall of Fame. Um, for his accomplishments. So my, my compromise to that idea is, is say, okay, how, how can we simplify the adjustability, um, in these cars? And then I say, publicize it, right? I think that before every race, NASCAR takes a look at all of the shock settings and all of the, you know, the, how the cars, the, the weight distribution on the scales and how the cars, you know, let's look at a certain number of core functionalities, core settings, setup, you know, settings of these cars when they go through pre-race inspection and let's deliver those notes to the broadcast partner oh. and let's let Steve <laughs> Letarte talk about it 
on the broadcast. <laughs> Shit, right? That's kind of cool. And let's talk about <laughs> let's talk about the strategy that JGR is taking with Denny Hamlin, or that Kyle Larson's team is going with a tight setup again this week, or you know X Y Z. Like let's let's talk about it. We've got pe- the talent in the booth that's capable of talking about that. Um, let's hear about it. So. I think that that's my compromise there is we should monetize. We need to monetize the money that's being spent in engineering somehow. Um, Otherwise, over time, the people that are paying for it, a.k.a. First of all, I mean, Ford, Chevy, and Toyota, um, they're going to lose interest in paying for it if they're not able to monetize it. But even more so, picking a random sponsor, Kroger. Like, what what does Kroger care about the shock settings of, um, if they're not able to monetize it and get extra attention, directly get attention for themselves, um, what's the, how do you justify that money? Yeah. Well, it's a long discussion, and it's got many facets to it. I want to move on to uh, something that happened to the Miami GP, and I don't really care about what happened here, but I want to <laughs> make a statement off of it. So I know that's, okay. that's a hell of a way to introduce it. Sergio Perez... Ooh. The Formula One driver for Red Bull, if you don't know and haven't watched Drive Survive, um, was reprimanded for undesirable lateness in the Miami GP before some sort of, uh, you know, basically their driver uh, parade lap. And I thought that was interesting. He basically apologized and said that, you know, his marketing team had pushed something too close and it won't happen again and so on and so forth. And F1 was very angry. But his teammate, Max Verstappen, when in response to this, said that he and Perez need to do less marketing. He added, it's too busy. We need more free time. So here's my pitch, and I'm going to look directly in the camera, and I want everyone listening out there to hear this. If you currently sponsor Max Verstappen or Sergio Perez and are looking for a way to advance your marketing goals, come to the money lap. We will gladly take your (laughs) time and money and effort, and we will put that out there for you, and we'll give Max Verstappen and Sergio Perez all the time they need uh, and free time to not have to do those marketing objectives. How and we do? won't be late. We'll <laughs> be there on time. That was that was a great pitch, Parker. And Thank I you. think that there's I think there's some big sponsors that are already coming our way um, on that request. I can feel the the Dutch sponsors just googling Money Lab. As I, I saw those headlines. I saw those headlines. Um, that was actually the first I saw of the Sergio uh, being late um, or, or th- really understanding the context around it. I saw the headlines around driver intros and kind of glossed over it. People like to complain, and that includes the drivers and competitors. Oh, yeah. So I, I don't know. I was just annoyed with it. I think driver intros is a good thing. I love doing big driver intros. I think that's cool. It's part of the show. I don't understand. I mean, I, well, I understand it. I can empathize with the drivers. It's something maybe they're not used to mm-hmm. and having to get, you know, parade themselves or, or get to the to the race or to the starting grid 30 minutes earlier than they normally do because they have to walk out to some intro song that they didn't pick or whatever. I can see how they, they get annoyed with that because race car drivers tend to get annoyed with dumb things. Everything. Um, Every single thing. They get annoyed with everything. <laughs> Wait. And, and so- I can understand why they would be late to driver intros. They're not used to the schedule. It's the, only the second Miami GP. I'm sure that the whole, the logistics of everything was new and different. Um, Yeah. I don't know. It doesn't. It's got to be tough. It's got to be really hard. Really hard. Welcome to America, I think, is what I saw somebody (laughs) say. Or people were, like, drawing a comparison to NASCAR. It's like, well, because we're in America, you know, we got to do it the way that they do it here. And NASCAR drivers do driver intros every week. Um, And so, sure. I don't know. I mean, I I like driver intros. The most popular driver being Lewis Hamilton was all about it. And you know what? I like it, too, because NASCAR – Let's give a shout-out to NASCAR on this. They recently, in the last year or two, started to really switch up the intros in terms of at least the music. I don't know if you've noticed this, but like we used to, for mm-hmm. years, the same music, and it would drone on, and it was horrible, and <laughs> it was so annoying. And it didn't matter if you were starting 30th, 31st, or 1st. You were going to hear the same damn song. Now they like switch it up. There's a DJ involved, and like you, you get to – experience which music you're going to get depending where you're starting and so it gets me hyped and then you have the bristol driver intros where the drivers choose their own music which has always been a really cool thing and it's the closest thing you're going to feel to a rock star um and so i love it and and i saw that one quote which is like well we're standing out in the sun for 30 minutes i believe it was george russell and the whole racing world was making fun of him 
and I get that sucks. Well, like, he, if there's not you know a bathroom what, it around, it is hot in Miami. Yeah, and if there's not a bathroom around, I know they wear those cool suits uh, ahead of you know the races. And look, I I'm someone who likes to. I literally have to pee within four. I try to time it within three minutes of the the invocation, which is a wildly close thing. But I just like to do that because then it gives me the time to just get my gear on, go in, and I don't think about it again because I'm always hydrating. Um, so I can emphasize, emphasize, empathize with him on that. So it's interesting, at least for these drivers. You know what? They did have that Miami though. Two hundred and forty-five dollar Jack Daniels ice cream landed. Uh, as well. So <clears throat> I think that would cool the drivers off at driver intros, wouldn't it? Yeah, no, that would be perfect for them. I think it would be the way to do it. It's made for four people. So if that's the case, you know, there's enough to sort of everyone to be able to cool down a little bit. You need a couple of them. I will you also say that get, got a, that got a well, little bit of extra. They got a little too much attention. The pricing yeah. on those menus got a little too much attention because they are for four people. But that's still pretty expensive. I mean, that's it is. But I mean, five dollars per person for ice cream. Well, hold on. But if you've ever been to Las Vegas, then you know exactly what, like just Las Vegas in general. <laughs> Where they where True. you can go ask for a glass of water at any bar and they will they'll let you know very quickly, oh sorry, we don't serve glasses of water, but we'll give you a bottle of water for five bucks. Like that's just a normal thing. <laughs> and right. then you go to Miami. Miami's one of the most expensive places on the planet. Don't even add in, say, the south of France, down the Caribbean, the Bahamas. The Bahamas can be wildly expensive, any island you go to. So I actually although I joke with this and make fun of it, and yes, it's kind of ridiculous. I mean, that's the VIP, you know, sort of setting and the, the you know, flavor of F1 in Miami. I don't know what you expect, right? It's going to be mm-hmm. nightclub pricing. You're going to pay ridiculous amounts for a bottle of Whispering Angel Rosé, and you're going to pay ridiculous amount for uh, vodka soda. And it's just like, that's how it's going to go. And anyone who's been to these types of places knows exactly what that's like. So I know it's good fun on, the, on social media to get a bunch of clicks and retweets on that, but to me – that is not even remotely out of the control compared to those places just in general, let alone there's F1 cars going around you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, what's, what's the extra couple thousand dollars for food and entertainment? If you just bought $5,000 tickets, good luck. Speaking of $5,000 tickets, uh, this one's going to cost way more, but Michael Andretti uh, has officially filed their F1 entry that they're trying to get make happen uh, through this whole process of an F1, you know, accepting all these potential entries so they can evaluate them and everything, this process they came out with. He also said, and we don't have to go too deep into this, but he did say um, they want to start an F2 and an F3 team if this happens so they can have a pipeline of drivers and control that, which is pretty interesting. So we're rooting for Andretti. Uh, and if anyone's been to the GM Technical Center, which – if you're not a race car driver or work at a cup team, then you probably haven't been there. But just know for all the people that think uh, Chevy doesn't have the resources for some reason to be in Formula One, um, you just take just take one walk to the GM Technical Center here in North Carolina and what they're putting into NASCAR and IndyCar uh, and know that that would be a laughable statement. I did see that uh, from Andretti, though, and thought, dang, that's a tall order. I mean, that's like that would be like <laughs> – starting a cup team an xfinity team and a truck team all just together right yeah i mean that's a little bit i I was he must have raised a ton of money in that spac that they started (laughs) (laughs) well i believe you know it's pretty common knowledge that gamebridge is obviously a huge part of this um and the ceo of gamebridge and so you know that's that's really where a lot of the funding for all this comes from. And I think, look, they are hellbent on making this a reality. He wants to make it happen. They've been very open about wanting Andretti to be a truly global racing enterprise, right? Not only IndyCar and Formula 1, but they've even said if they got that done, they want to come to NASCAR, which we know with the charter prices but or supposed prices, what that would cost and what undertaking they'd have there. So it's just... There's ambitious plans. He's done a great job to be an IndyCar, Global Rallycross. They've been, you know, Formula E. Um, what else? I mean, I know I'm missing some things. Obviously, Indy Lights, which is now Indy Next. Um, yeah, I mean, I just... They're holding like, the part of the Gamebridge, supercars. I, I, 
I get that they have sponsorship support with Gamebridge, but how much? I mean, how big is Gamebridge? I, I, they're, I don't know. I'm not too familiar with them. I mean, I know they're funding a lot of stuff. Um, they, they're a name that's been around or familiar to me, I guess, in that sense. But what kind of sponsorship do they need over an F1? Fifty million a year? Hundred million a year? Yeah, probably hundred. I mean, what you're buying alone is, is going to be wild, right? That's that's the part to me. I don't worry so much about the the running side of it. To me, what's interesting is how you how you amortize the cost of buying in. And this is what I always struggle with. I struggle with this in real estate investments half the time. My brother has explained to me where it's like, okay, you have the massive buy-in, and then eventually you create cash flow around that, and how you amortize whether it's under a loan or if it's truly just cash on cash. Like that is a massive, right? To to have to do mm-hmm. that and support that, especially if it's debt. Like that's just wild. Um, you know, there's there's calls to want to make it six hundred million, right? Um, it's two hundred million right now, but they want to make it six hundred million because that's you know what it would be. We, to, do we know how much they team. raised in their spec? Well, I think they shut that down. Oh, they I did. This, okay, so it's not yeah. the spec. The money's not coming from the spec. No, I don't think it's coming from the spec. The spec was not going to be in racing stuff. It was going to be automotive stuff related to racing. I want to say, and for those that don't know. That was the uh, them and Zach Brown, the Andretti's and Zach Brown started a SPAC, oh, which is a okay. special purpose acquisition company, which is a basically a holding company on the on a publicly traded forum like the New York Stock Exchange. That you basically, you know, there's a whole way of where they, you know, you you put an X amount of money in, it's at a certain share price, and then that company or entity tries and goes to buy, tries to go buy, uh, you know, another company to bring them public. That's private, right? And so it's an alternative way to go public for a company as opposed to an IPO. But it, that was during the bubble of the SPACs, and it seems like that all went away when free money went away. So mm-hmm. they said uh, they're submitting their final paperwork this week for the F1 team, Andretti, and hopefully they'll get an answer in the middle of July so we're making good progress. Well, baby, here we go. Could we see a truly American F1 team? Could we see a GM team versus Ford at Red Bull? In Formula One, that's kind of badass. I won't lie. So it'd be pretty cool. That yeah. might, maybe it, makes might might make some NASCAR overlords a little bit nervous um, to see <laughs> OEM, you know, funding get diverted to other sources, especially if those sources are waging a war against NASCAR by, um, you know, setting their broadcast times uh, at the same time as our races on Sundays. Wait a second! You're jumping ahead. It's coming later. What? <laughs> oh, that is. That's okay. coming later. We got it. We have a couple more topics just to jump into real quick. Uh, Otmar Snaffauer, who's the team principal of Alpine, Alpine. Sorry, my bad. Um, may be under fire right now <clears throat> because the CEO of Alpine, CEO Laurent Rossi, is not happy with their performance as a team, and basically alluded to the possibility there could be consequences for this. He even went as far as to say, uh, you can read this in the Money Lab. Basically, that Aston Martin has less engineers. They don't have their own wind tunnel. They don't have their plant running at the moment. They hypercharge development by having the right people joining them. It shows that it's not down to creativity and efficiency. It's the rule of the game. We know that. So, no, I'm sorry. I don't buy the resource excuse. Basically alluding to the fact that someone maybe said they have more resources or something. He's like, no, we have all the resources. Things have to change. And the reason I bring this up is that you and I have had a running joke for a long time that when you become a team president or team principal, you will always be a team president or team principal. So, Otmar, if you were to be removed from this position, just know there is an endless – First one in history. Yeah, you will be removed as the first one in history, but there will be other opportunities because you always will have that opportunity once you've gotten there. Well, yeah. And I don't know why that is. I should not say first one in history, but um, the running joke is – that team presidents or general managers in motorsports are the most insulated it is the most insulated position in all of motorsports if you make it to the role of team president at a race team i believe you have a runway of what six seven ten years before Easy. it finally that gets to you on the chopping block usually usually the team presidents last longer than the team themselves <laughs> like the the team the team owner the team president will last longer than the team owner. The team owner will get 
tired of spending money or will quit for some reason before replacing the team president. The team president and the will team get president to go through. Yeah, different owners because they'll go. It's happened before. Otmar oh, yeah. Snefire <laughs> with F1 in terms of Force India. He went. He stayed there through the different iterations. <laughs> so the team, a, a, a good team president, if you know how to work the business, will get to go through at least three driver changes, a really unlimited driver changes, right? <laughs> and then you have, <laughs> then you have two or three manufacturer changes that you can go through. Easy. Uh, you two at three technical alliances to go through <laughs> and then those all take years right like this is this is the whole concept of the process is just like okay driver changes oh we tried this driver for two years oh the problem's the driver so we're going to replace him two years later oh the, the problem's not the driver we like this new driver that we got but we're still not running better we need to change manufacturers or our manufacturer partnership we're not getting as much out of this manufacturer as we could get from these guys because they're making a good offer for us so we're going to change manufacturers well that comes with a technical alliance change okay well we don't like this technical alliance so we do that one for two years and then we'll switch tech well next thing you know you're six or eight years into this thing and a team president's like um <laughs> oh well we just uh <laughs> we got a big sponsor change this new sponsor uh we just signed a, a big new sponsor and and the team president gets credit for that uh because of the marketing team and that'll that buys them another four years <laughs> next thing that that's how you get to 10 or 12 years as team president yep <laughs> and by that time you're either ready to retire or the owner is and so you've got a new owner and you can yeah. keep going for another 10 years <laughs> yep yep <laughs> the team president is the most insulated position in all of motorsports. So, Otmar, and good luck, buddy. Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> You'll be just fine. Stepping away from F1, we do have to talk about Kansas this past weekend because, one, the race was awesome. It had passing, Great tons of it. Crashes. And the, these mile and a halfs, obviously, are what this car was built to solve, right, in a lot of ways. Solve the racing, solve the processional yeah. racing hard to pass all that and it just seems like they're they're hard to drive you know they're not hard to drive in other places but for every reason these 1.5 mile tracks because of the arrow these cars are hard to drive and it's causing tremendous racing and a tremendous enjoyable entertainment product um which is just fascinating when the old car was road courses and short tracks yeah I I don't I don't really I don't get it. I mean, I've driven this car. I I uh, it I don't understand it cuz I feel like I wish the car slid around more. Um it's super edgy and you know, it's really hard to lean into other cars. And, but but I mean, we saw it this weekend. Uh, I mean, there was they definitely leaned into each other at the end of it. Um <laughs> and it was great racing and we you know, last week I think we talked about the air bubble and how that kind of works. Um, and so even though when you're in direct line of turbulence of the car in front of you, I mean, it's, you're still aero tight, but it's going to be hard to get rid of that. But I mean, you, the way that you could see Denny getting off line of Kyle, um, in the closing laps when he was catching the five car, um, he didn't have to just completely run a different line and get out of the wake where the cars are, you know, 100 feet or 80 feet separated from each other. He could just get out of his turbulence just a little bit, get a little bit of clean air, and still kind of be close to Kyle. So the the racing looked close. It was close. Obviously, I didn't understand all the drama at the end of it um, and the whole move at the end. Like, that was racing to me. I, I thought, if anything, I thought it looked like Kyle – made his own mistake the and hit the fence. Off. Yeah. Yeah. He I mean, he, he hit the fence. And, and I, I will say that um, it is worth noting that I don't, I'm not trying to say that that was just like some brain fart moment on Kyle or he just like made a mistake. He didn't choke. I, I wouldn't say that. Denny's car is pushing so much air. Like these cars still do make a huge wake and they do push a lot of air that his car, the arrow of his car probably did kind of move Kyle's car up um, a few inches or a half a foot. And Kyle was so close to the wall to begin with, right there at the exit of turn two, that it I it got Kyle kind of out of shape. But there was no drama to that move to me at all. So I mean, and then Kyle kind of got close to the wall, or even got against the wall and jerked it back down, and then they made their contact. Um, and then these cars talk about the cars being edgy; they don't slide around really well. So that's where it's like he got once he got 
on top of the tire, you know, and he wasn't, the tire wasn't in the track anymore. And you're going down the straightaway and he had to chase it a couple times. He sort of tank slapped it. Um, I mean, that was just, that was just racing. It was good racing. Kyle, was- I mean, I thought took it well. I, I think the one thing that, that makes it a little bit dramatic is if you watch the onboards and the way that NASCAR, you know, promoted it on Instagram after the race, um, the spotters initially, the spotter initial reaction in all scenarios, and I love spotters. <laughs> I'm not trying to, this isn't like some anti-spotter rant or anything. The spotters will always say, you got hooked. They always say, he wrecked us. They, I don't know. I, I, don't, I think it's like an intense in the moment type thing, and there's no analysis. Their job isn't to analyze that at the moment, right? Like the spotters are just so in the zone. I've, this has been with every spotter I've ever had. You know, if you are in a wreck or get wrecked, they always defend their driver instantly, right? Like inside, inside, quarter, quarter, he's getting close. And then it, and it's like, he wrecked us, he hooked us. And it's like, well, he didn't really hook us. This <laughs> is racing, but thanks, man. So, I, you know, I don't know if that played a role in the public. You know, like that got aired really quickly and then it was on social media. So I don't know if the public listened to Kyle Spotter say he hooked us in – and you know, I don't know. I didn't see. I didn't see how Kyle, Kyle went, but. said to Denny afterwards. I was already losing it, right? Like with the air yeah. that Denny was pushing on his left rear, he was as you have described. That car still moves a ton of air. Now, what Denny did to catch Kyle and make that move on him was so reminiscent to Kurt Busch a year prior in this race in mm-hmm. the forty-five car, doing those exact same things of running that lower lane and just getting that headlight out, which looks so. 2001 to me 2002 mm-hmm. like put the left headlight out and and you'll get a little bit more turn and air and you know now they're doing it at the top of the track as opposed to 0102 they've been doing it at the bottom of the mm-hmm. track but that exact thing is where the one that's wake of this car is obviously as we talked about so it's so condensed that you can get away from mm-hmm. it like that and you therefore you can use the higher banking like he did get a little bit of a, you know, his left side's basically below that to the lower banking, de-wedge the car a little bit. So I thought that was really cool, and Denny did an awesome job. But Kyle Larson said, you know, I was out of control because Denny was pushing on that left rear. He was going to side draft him. That was his move down into three, basically try to side draft and slide up, pull the pull the slide job 2017, you know, Dale Jr. slide job. But the when he got there, and you as you said, Kyle's in the wall already. So, like, they're hitting and there's nothing you can do there. Like, it, it's, it's all happening. Yeah. Um, and, it, and I know Denny said, like, I barely was touching him, and I really believe that. It's just a lot of aero stuff. But that yeah, race, I mean, really for close. 20 laps, they went at it. And Kyle Larson, obviously, is a boss, drove a super loose car, which is funny because historically he drives a tighter car. But he, uh, he, he did a great job there holding on that car and put them in that position. So that was cool. And I think overall, a big win for NASCAR. Um, now Denny was booed after the race, but those boos suddenly became cheers. And he, he said on his podcast, he felt like he maybe convinced the crowd suddenly that they should like him, <laughs> but it wasn't what they were cheering for. Okay. <laughs> they were cheering because Ross Chastain and Noah Gregson were in a fight, uh, and a fight may be an aggressive word. They were having discussion in which case Ross made a right hook across to the face of Noah Gregson and made serious contact. The fight was then broke up. Everyone's seen this on social media. It's been all over the place. Um, I'm going to start this by saying I know a lot of people are like, hell yeah, let them fight, man, let's do it. And, you know, there's a this, like, hockey mentality of, like, let them fight it till they get to the ground sort of thing. Look, if that's what you're looking for, cool. I think the passion is great. But personally, I'm just not that compelled by fighting. I'm not a fighter. Now, anyone who watches my social media will have seen me boxing in the last year and a half. I started doing that, and I won't lie. This is, this is a percentage of it, was I started to see where the sport was going. And I'm like, you know what? If I'm on pit road and I just, you know, <laughs> was in an, a thing, I got to know how to defend myself. Like, I got to be able to punch someone in the freaking face and – Knock them away because you're going to get – this sport is heading towards this, this idea of like fighting is a, a genuine and accepted result to an on-track altercation. And I'm like, you know, I don't know how to throw a punch. So I started boxing, and I, uh, 
I don't know if I'm any better fighter. I really know I'm probably not. I know how to throw a punch now. And, you know, I feel like <laughs> I'm far more fit and I love the fitness aspect of it. But I feel like I'd still get my ass kicked in a fight. And I'm not, you know, I'm going to have to be very angry to want to fight someone. Um, I definitely think I've made my, my displeasure known uh, to multiple different drivers and such. But, you know, this fighting thing, I, I don't know. I, I know it brings eyeballs. I know it's exciting. It's great social media stuff. I know it's basically NASCAR's flavor and it was built on this, and that's fine, and I have no problem with it. And if you come and fight me, I'm going to fight back. But I think it's, uh, you know, the idea of, like, of building rules around this or letting them get to, like, the hockey style, I don't, I don't see that. Uh, you know, I don't want that. Yeah, I think let it happen naturally. Uh, one or two fights a year in NASCAR is all we need. <laughs> you should we it fight? does make a good headline. It, uh, but I, I don't, I don't need to see too many fights in our sport. What a, you know, I, I think the okay. uh, the madhouse up there in Winston Salem, uh, Bowman Gray Stadium is kind of an interesting novelty. It's special. It's unique. But it, it's um, it's so far you know and and it's like it affects the racing and i don't know i'd rather see professional drivers professional racing i want i want to be i want this sport to be the best in the world i want brands to want to be a part of the sport i want young and smart and you know cool people want to be you know interested in nascar um and I think if we're fighting every week, that's not probably <laughs> the that's not probably the best direction for that. So, when is a fight appropriate? You may ask. I don't know. I don't know. But should it be for the win? I don't even know where Ross and Noah were running. So, um, I don't even. Here's the other but, thing. No one's hey, even talked about that. Everybody, well, hold, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. No one's even talked about that part. I don't even think this had anything to do massively with what happened on track that day. Now, I know Noah was having a great day, and Ross and him had a very similar thing to Bubba and Kyle Larson last year at Vegas, which is Ross was coming up the track and just sort of arrow-pushed Noah into the wall, right, with the way this car Mm -hmm. is. And this car just has a lot of different arrow effects you don't have in the other cars. And that, you know, hurt Noah's day. Now, if when I look at what Noah said and the way he reacted... To me, the bigger annoyance, because he brought it up, and it was obviously on his mind, was the fact that he brought up Talladega in that last restart where the one wrecks him as he tries to go to the middle because the 42 left the middle open. Yeah. So, like, it didn't even That's have much to do with – Yeah, it didn't have much to do with that day. It was like it was a pent-up demand to do something, right? And he, he had almost a little bit of an excuse from the, this race, but not so much was that the anger – portion yeah, but it was, was ross that threw the punch i mean i guess you well know, that's because he's telling him to stop I, yeah i mean i don't know i guess that that was an interesting i i guess it was an interesting punch being thrown because right I mean, Noah was kind of running his mouth ross is just saying stop it stop it i don't know i don't know why you don't just turn turn and walk away but uh, it's better than but wrecking race ross, cars ross is a ross is a bulldog man he doesn't he's not gonna get pushed around don't change. Don't change. That's that's right. That's what we said. Don't change, but also don't stop winning. <laughs> <laughs> All right, moving on. What's next? Moving on. Oh, man. You had something you wanted to talk about from practice in F1. Oh, yeah. I was, I was watching F1 practice, and I was watching the Mercedes on board, and I was thinking this from a driver. So This is the part of the show maybe where I put people to sleep talking about super driver technical stuff. But I was like, you know, I'm watching Lewis half a second off, basically, the Red Bull cars. And it just looked like he was really sluggish through the slow sections. Like, front tires not gripping, like the car not changing directions through the, the front sections. He wasn't super accurate. Um, it just seemed like he had his hands turned a little bit too much. And it made me wonder how these F1 teams, you know, first like aero balancer cars if he's not there's not enough front downforce through those areas but also it made me think of something that i've noticed in nascar before where a team gets behind in performance and 
they really use Arrow as a crutch to try to find performance in short order. And uh, and so they they spend, you know, they, they, they start making a lot of sacrifices for the sake of Arrow because in Sim or in theory, the Arrow is the cheapest and best way to gain performance. Um, oh, hang on a second. Am I still there? Yep. Because Arrow is is the cheapest and best way to gain performance. And they end up sacrificing mechanical grip and things that, you know, ultimately are going to be what you need to make speed in traffic, in slow corners, in a variety of corners. And that's where I felt like I saw the Mercedes lacking at Miami, in practice at least. I didn't see him a whole lot. I mean, I did see him stuck in traffic a couple times in the race. But, I mean, hell, you've got you've got these Red Bulls that started the race on hard tires still made it through traffic still a half second faster than the field wins by 14 15 seconds or however much they won by um and they're making more straightaway speed which tells me they've got less drag right so are they not pushing the issue like do they not need to push the issue on arrow on downforce and sacrifice a bunch of drag in their cars on straightaway speed is that why they're making a bunch of straightaway speed because they make really good mechanical grip um i know a lot of people were going to especially when it comes to F1, you think everything is all about aero, but I've been such a, I've my whole career. I've always thought mechanical grip is really the differentiator between a proper race winning car and, you know, a car that might have qualifying speed mm-hmm. is, is that really <laughs> where the Red Bulls are winning is mechanical grip. I don't have the answer. I'm going to have to look this up because I will be honest. Occasionally when those super technical, um, articles come out about the cars where it's like, we've discovered where Mercedes is lacking pace. Sometimes I mm-hmm. fall asleep. So <laughs> I got to go. <laughs> Did I, I just put everybody to sleep by wanting you to go down that route? I want to, I want to, uh, I think it's interesting and I think it's a discussion worth having, but I'm not adequately prepared for it. So we're going to, we're going to sidebar it for another time because I want to go to <laughs> okay. into something that is base. It's F1 and NASCAR combined. And we asked this question at the beginning of the show. Is F1 starting a war with U.S. motorsports? So mm. this, is, this is a pretty intense uh, discussion right now, and it's happening all over social media. And let's just give you a little bit of background. First and foremost, you have Formula One that has experienced massive growth in the last couple of years. As if you're listening to this, you know from Drive to Survive, et cetera, et cetera. But one of the things that happened – this weekend was that the Formula One race and NASCAR Cup Series race were on at the same time. These are the two biggest motorsports in the world by every available metric and dollar and number possible. And yet the two of them found themselves on American television at the exact same damn time. Now, I know the F1 race was done by stage two in the Cup race, but still it's just, to me, completely asinine. And I, I tweeted that I get sad about this. The reason I get sad is that I believe motorsports is truly a very niche sport. Although large, it is a niche. And it therefore should be rooting for every form of motorsports to be more popular, to have more eyes, to be to have people enthusiastic about it. Because it can only mean if you like cars are going in circles one way, we got a hell of a lot more chance of making you like cars going in circles a different way than we do if you only like footballs being thrown across gridirons right so first of all when they run at the same time on television that makes me very sad this also brought up and continues to sort of i guess feed this narrative that these two are now at odds with each other and it was interesting in that gunther steiner had a quote that came out as we went into the weekend and he is the team principal of haas f1 team he also was, has a little bit of a NASCAR background and working for Red Bull a couple years ago. was on the broadcast of the Circuit of America's race early this year for NASCAR. He said, when looking at the ratings, NASCAR is still number one at the moment, but IndyCar is falling behind, and if we continue to do a good job, F1 can become the dominant motorsport discipline in the United States. And I believe that quote sort of emboldens how many people in the United States feel, which is that F1 feels like they are going to take over, right? That this is their their prize to be taken in that NASCAR and IndyCar laying over. A little bit more background. The CEO of Liberty Media last year talked about how the Indy 500 broadcast, which 
not just because I work for NBC, but truly I believe this, was lackluster compared to the F1 broadcast. Yet, it's me personally, I believe it's probably one of the best motorsport broadcasts in the world, and it can you know, be some of the best TV ever. And when Elio Castroneves won the other year, and what the one he's talking about, it was one of the most amazing moments in motorsport television, watching him on the front stretch celebrate. I mean, I, it brought me to tears. <laughs> I haven't cried over a, I haven't I haven't cried over a sporting event since Tiger Woods won the 2018 Masters, which that was awesome too. But I, I so, bubbled like a baby on that one. Well, then the last part of this, um, and that's very cute of you. The last part of this was that they the TV ratings come out today on Tuesday when we record this, right? And NASCAR mm-hmm. beat F1 in the viewership. And you and I had a text exchange a couple of days ago. We were we saw there at the same time, and I said F1 will get uh, 1.7 million viewers, and NASCAR will get 2.8 million, um, and that's just how it will be, right? Well, the numbers came in, and NASCAR got 2.352 million, so I missed on that one. F1 got 1.646 million for including the pre-race and it was like 1.9 million for the actual race broadcast. So I was damn close. Uh but they won in the 18 to 49 demo having about what is it? 430,000 viewers 18 to 49 for NASCAR, 625,000 for F1. Yet NASCAR was up by 1% from last year. F1 down 20% from the year prior, Oof. which you and I love to say top signals. But this sparked on social media a F1 versus NASCAR debate. And the idea being that the F1 race at Miami was really boring and the NASCAR race at Kansas was incredible. And even it went as far as you have Tiffany Dell, who for many people that don't know listening to this, are, is a former host of Top Gear and host of the very popular car show called Fifth Gear for a while and now just is a known personality. He... <laughs> he basically put out a poll asking which was the best race in the U.S., the NASCAR race or the F1 race. Even they're talking about it in the U.K. because this has become such a thing where F1 is being Americanized and all this stuff, right? My last part of this that I find interesting is, to me, I have felt for a while F1 had to be careful with trying to disrespect NASCAR, disrespect IndyCar, because unlike other countries, you, you are not, you've never dealt with the level of, of size and um, I guess, you know what I'm trying to say? Le- the size is NASCAR and IndyCar and the level of history that these sports, these motorsports have compared to what they've dealt with in other countries. You are not just going to waltz in here and take over. And the reason I say that is that they know the one thing that sparked this whole interest was a TV show on a streaming platform. That was it. That was the one thing. So you can't tell me there's mm-hmm. not someone in F1 boardrooms thinking, wait a second, guys. We're behind in almost every metric. We're only here three times a year. And yet, the one thing that got us here was a TV show on a streaming platform. If one of those gets a streaming show or has a catalyst to light the fire that happened for them on Drive Survive, mm-hmm. where do you find yourself? That's where I'll end it. That's great. It is a great point. And I think that you can definitely it would be fair to say that we talk about F1 top signals all the time. I definitely think we're seeing them all over the place. Um, you can add Gunther Steiner saying, you know, that F1 can dom- be the, become the dominant motorsport discipline in the United States, uh, presumably in the near future. I'm, I think he's assuming that's going to happen. That's a top signal if I've ever seen one. Uh, <laughs> it could maybe be the dominant motorsport, but it's going to be over a generation. It's not going to be in the next five years. Um, but, uh, you know, it is fair to say that, hey, we've seen these this, this spike of interest in F1 because of Netflix and their show. Uh, there's It's going to level – it has to level up. It's going to come down. So maybe it's not totally fair to it to say, oh, 20% decline in, you know, the Miami GP over last year. Um, it's going to net out, I would imagine, with with more interest. I mean, they definitely probably gained new real fans. Um, it's just a good question of what does it really take to have staying power in the U.S. versus NASCAR and IndyCar? You know, to disrespect the Indy 500 like that is asinine. I mean, it is the great, it is the greatest motor racing event there is. in the world. 
It's the best event I've it's, ever been to. It's by far more important than Monaco. I'm sorry, Monaco is amazing. Way more greatest GP. And and by the way, that is the greatest day in motorsports to get up in the morning <laughs> and watch the Monaco GP, the Indy 500, and the Coke 600 all in one day. But the Indy 500 takes the cake on that one. So I don't, you know, I don't understand that. Um, I mean, I, maybe I do. It's capitalism, right? It's the same, same goes back to the same conversation of why they don't give IndyCar drivers super license points. You know, they don't they don't want to promote the IndyCar um, drivers. Uh, they they don't want to give IndyCar legitimacy as being a feeder series into F1, or or to be a feed. I shouldn't even call it a feeder series in F1, but like they don't want to give them. Uh, uh, they don't want to give, give them enough points, enough yeah. credit. Exactly, and. You bring up Memorial Day, which is the Monaco GP, the Indy 500, and then the Coca-Cola 600. Last year, there was a metric came out. It was like 16 point something million people watched across all three. But the only it was a very small number compared to that 16 some odd million that watched all three. Right. So Mm -hmm. to me, I'm sitting there as an executive at NASCAR or F1 or IndyCar. And I see that metric and I'm like, whoa, we got work to do. Like, hold Mm -hmm. up here. You mean the greatest day in motorsports, there was over 16 million people that tuned in across all three, you know, with all three races combined, yet only like, I can't remember the number, I got to look it up, but a a small fraction watched all three. And I'm sitting there like, Mm. wait, that's opportunity. We should all be working together. This should be something we're trying to do because if you like (laughs) cars going in circles, we got more cars going in circles. We swear we got them on offer. (laughs) Come on down to oh, our cars burger. go to circle That's not shop. How capitalism works. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> it's not. Oh well. The point being, I do believe. I do believe. You know, the, to answer our question, they are taking a bit of an approach to say this is a war, a battle, mm-hmm. and I just purely and I love F one and I know everyone knows that, but I really, really, really think that is a bad idea. And I believe they are underestimating their comp. They're making the fatal flaw in any war battle from a general or a leader in one of those. And that is underestimating your competition. And I think they will be really uh, or very upset with the outcome. Should we end it there? There you have it. <laughs> That's the money line. Bu- Thank you. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to The Money Lap. Please subscribe and review us on your platform of choice. And be sure to join our newsletter for the best five minutes in motorsports delivered directly to your email inbox every Tuesday and Thursday. And you know what? We love bringing you all of this content for free. So what do we ask for? Simply for you to subscribe and to let us know every single thing we are doing wrong. If you want to leave us those sorts of opinions, Please go over to YouTube, subscribe there, and leave us comments in the comment sections below the videos. We might just respond. We might put you on the next podcast. Most of all, we just love the feedback, even when it's really mean. Thank you for listening.